Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Skip the waiting room. TireRack.com now offers convenient mobile tire installation in select areas. Simply shop TireRack.com for your next set of tires, and at checkout, choose Tire Rack Mobile Tire Installation. An expertly trained technician will arrive with your tires and install them on site, at home, at the office, wherever you are. You'll spend less time waiting and more time doing the things you enjoy. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Zana, you know that New Hampshire Public Radio, the organization we work for, has a handbook, right? Yeah. And that handbook has a bunch of stuff in it. It's about working hours, benefits, hiring practices, but it also has rules. Rules about how you should behave in the workplace, how you should conduct yourself in public, a code of conduct, if you will. Right, and of course, there's usually something about what happens if you don't follow those rules. But Nick... Why are we talking about this? Well, even though it might not be a handbook, Hannah, most workplaces, including the federal government, have codes of conduct that set expectations and hold people accountable. And when it comes to our federal government in particular, many of these codes of conduct are publicly available. Which I suppose makes sense because our government is ultimately accountable to the people. It is indeed. But... There is one corner of our federal government, a rather important corner, if you will, that seems to operate a little differently. The Supreme Court is considered probably the most powerful court in the world. So it's very important to make sure that they are not biased in favor or against particular parties. But the justices have largely been unregulated to a large extent. Um, and they're just mostly it's, it's relied on norms over time. This is Tonya Jacoby. She's a professor of law and the Sam Nunn Chair in Legal Ethics and Professionalism at Emory University School of Law. And we're talking to her today because lately there's been some question as to just how accountable our Supreme Court justices are to anyone but themselves. Private jets, lavish trips, and access to exclusive clubs all provided to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas for more than two decades by a Dallas businessman and Republican megadome. There are no ethic guidelines, uh, guardrails at the highest court in the land. This seems ridiculous. Supreme Court, it's apparently fine to have all of your vacations be paid for by some billionaire Republican donor. This is Civics 101. I'm Nick Capodice. I'm Hannah McCarthy. And today we are talking about why our Supreme Court is getting so much scrutiny for how it oversees itself and what kind of accountability we actually have for the highest court in the land. So right now, Hannah, May 2023... There has been a lot of news about the private lives of our Supreme Court justices, notably Justice Clarence Thomas and the expensive gifts he has gotten throughout a long friendship with a very, very wealthy man, Harlan Crow. 
And this friend is not just wealthy. He's deeply invested in conservative politics. But before we get into why this relationship is getting so much attention, we got to take a step back and talk about why we care so much about the finances of government officials in the first place. We generally in politics are worried about in terms of corruption, people giving gifts or actual bribes to politicians and other people with power. And so we have a lot of restrictions generally on what uh, what sort of gifts politicians can accept and when they have to declare those gifts. Uh, so for example, it's in the constitution that the president isn't supposed to receive gifts from international parties, for example. I mean, it makes sense. If someone buys you a new car, for example, you might feel like you owe them something in return. Yeah, and it could be more nefarious than that. A gift could actually be a trade of some kind or a bribe. I buy you a new car, but you give my child rides to school for the next 10 years, for example. Or I raise a bunch of money under the table and use it to pay someone to break into your opponent's campaign headquarters. The Democratic National Committee is trying to solve a spy mystery. It began before dawn Saturday when five intruders were captured by police inside the offices of the committee in Washington. The five men carried cameras and apparently had pondered electronic bugs. One of them had several crisp new $100 bills in his pocket. Now listeners probably know this, but that second example was part of the Watergate scandal, where President Nixon and his allies spied on political opponents and then attempted to cover it up. That scandal made preventing political corruption and bribery top of mind. And one solution Congress came up with as a result was the Ethics in Government Act of 1978. What did that do? Well, among other things, it required federal officials across the three branches of government, including justices, to file reports every year about their finances, including the money they made and spent in outside business deals, real estate transactions, fundraising, and gifts. So financial disclosures. Exactly. And the idea is that by making people explain where they are getting money from and how it is being used, the government can better prevent corruption. Right. The Ethics in Government Act also gave Congress and individual government agencies the power to investigate and to pursue suspicious behavior. But today we're talking about the behavior of Supreme Court justices, not the president or Congress. So how does this oversight work in the judicial branch? Well, when it comes to the federal judiciary, which includes district and circuit courts, as well as the Supreme Court, appearance is extremely important. Generally, when it comes to regulating judges, we say not only is it important that there is no actual influence, that there is no wrongdoing, for example, taking bribes or being influenced, but also that there's no appearance of that possibility because judges have power because we believe in their ability to be neutral and to rule not according to politics or what they're voted to do, but rather because of how they interpret the law. And so the appearance of any kind of unethical influence, anything like that has to be avoided as well as the actual misconduct. Tanya is saying that unlike elected officials like the president, who we elect specifically because of their political stances, judges are supposed to be apolitical in order to do their jobs well. Putting aside the question of whether judges and justices are actually politically neutral, because that is a question worth asking, and many would say they're not, 
It's not enough to just say they're politically neutral. They need to show it, right? Yeah, like, for example, if you're a judge who oversees election cases, you shouldn't receive expensive gifts from an attorney who represents clients in cases about election laws, right? Especially if they're going to be appearing before you in court. Because even if those expensive gifts were not actually bribes, people might see them as bribes, which calls your integrity into question. Yeah, and that's reflected in the ethics rules for the federal judiciary, which incorporate federal law from the Ethics and Government Act, but are tailored, specifically tailored to the judiciary. These rules say that judicial officials have to disclose certain financial behavior, but also they have to avoid situations that could be seen as currying favor to a specific party or a person. Who makes these ethics rules for the federal judiciary? That falls on the Judicial Conference, which is like the administrative arm of the judicial branch. The Judicial Conference is made up of the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, who's the presiding officer, as well as chief judges in every judicial circuit and the Court of International Trade, and one judge from each district court. And this conference convenes twice a year. The Judicial Conference of the United States met in Washington, D.C. for their biannual meeting. C-SPAN talked with Bob Fiedler, legislative and public affairs officer of the administrative Now, what do the rules look like? This conference has a code of conduct that all federal judges and employees have to follow. It includes the process for financial disclosure, rules about recusals, and best practices in the courtroom and outside of it. The code of conduct helps maintain impartiality and, importantly, the appearance of impartiality. And disclosing gifts is one part of that. Can I ask what counts as a gift? In general, anything of monetary value over $415 counts as a disclosable gift, unless it comes from a relative. You also have to disclose gifts that are given to your spouse or your children. What about something a little more ambiguous, like someone offers to let you stay at their beach house for a week free of charge? That's a gift, but... You know, it's hard to quantify that on a disclosure form. Yeah, the disclosure rules make an exception for, quote, personal hospitality. Now, in the original Ethics and Government Act, the rule was you had to report, quote, the identity of the source and a brief description of any gifts or transportation, lodging, food, or entertainment, end quote, over a couple hundred dollars. But it also said that, quote, any food, lodging, or entertainment received as personal hospitality of any individual need not be reported. Is transportation missing from that second sentence on purpose? Good catch, Hannah. Well, there was recently a change in the rules to make quite explicit, for example, that private jet flights are meant to be reported. The newly updated regulations, which came out in March of 2023, clarified that staying at a resort or using a private jet does not count as personal hospitality and therefore must be disclosed. Right. I mean, if one of your friends is letting you fly on their private jet for free, that is a pretty expensive thing that is relatively easy to calculate the cost of. Now, I'm curious about this code of conduct that you mentioned. Is that also where enforcement of these rules comes in? It is. Lower court judges are much more restricted in terms of what sort of sources of extra income they can receive, for example, um, or what gifts they can receive. And when they have to recuse themselves, so when they have to step down from hearing a particular case because they have some sort of relationship with the parties, and that can be like an actual relationship, like 
you know, being a cousin or what have you, but it can also be, well, I have shares in this person's company or I've sat on the board of this person's company or any interests like that that can be pecuniary. Pecuniary meaning it has some financial value. What happens if someone violates these rules? Does the judicial conference investigate? It does investigate, and it also provides guidance for investigations across the federal judiciary. An investigation could lead to disciplinary action, and this could be anything from a slap on the wrist to voluntary resignation to impeachment by Congress. So we've been talking about judges a lot here, but I noticed that we have not mentioned justices. And you and I know that when it comes to the Supreme Court, they are known as justices. So do they have to abide by the same code of conduct? And who investigates the justices if they don't follow the rules? The Supreme Court justices are treated differently. They are at the top of the hierarchy and they are treated differently in that they're allowed to define their own role and we rely on their sense of what is right and wrong generally uh, to do the right thing. And we'll get to that right after the break. I just want to echo Tanya's statement. You, listener, can also do the right thing. Support the podcast that helps you understand why it is a Supreme Court justice isn't held to the same standards as any other judge. If you like our show, if you like our mission of explaining how our democracy works, give a gift in any amount at our website, civics101podcast.org. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Skip the waiting room. TireRack.com now offers convenient mobile tire installation in select areas. Simply shop TireRack.com for your next set of tires, and at checkout, choose Tire Rack Mobile Tire Installation. An expertly trained technician will arrive with your tires and install them on site, at home, at the office, wherever you are. You'll spend less time waiting and more time doing the things you enjoy. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Hey there, everyone. Hey, folks. The whole Civics 101 team is here in D.C. for a week. That's why you hear cars and stuff whizzing by. Uh, We are in the district to talk to the people that we talk about on a daily basis. And a lot of those people work in the executive branch. That is the largest employer in the world. And a lot of those people work in the civil service where, after the assassination of James Garfield, it's a long story, they take an exam to make sure that they are the right person for their job. But if you run a business and you're not the federal government, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all, but to match instead with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 23 hires are made on Indeed every minute, and their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use it, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash civics. Just go to Indeed.com slash civics right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
Indeed.com slash civics. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire? You need Indeed. We're back. You're listening to Civics 101. We are talking about the rules and expectations of federal judges and how, for Supreme Court justices, those rules are actually more like guidelines. The reason there's been so much controversy is that perhaps there's been the suggestion that the justices haven't really been playing by the rules. This, again, is Tanya Jacoby. Now, the rules for justices are really just to say what they are receiving. What does Tanya mean by that? Essentially, the Supreme Court justices are generally just expected to report their financial transactions. So it's not that they can't receive gifts, but they have to just tell the public what gifts they are receiving so that it's all out in the open and nothing's going on behind closed doors. But I feel like the Supreme Court, since it is a part of the federal judiciary, arguably the most powerful part, would want to hold itself to the highest possible standard of integrity. I would assume that its ethical rules would have to be the strictest. Yeah, you would expect that, right? Which is why the news about Justice Thomas, which we're going to get into now, has been such a big story. Justice Thomas got a lot of attention recently because it turned out that for many, many years, he was receiving very, very expensive gifts, such as rides on a private jet. The report says that the Thomases flew on Crow's private jet to Indonesia for the nine-day luxury vacation, one that they say is valued at more than $500,000. Vacations on someone's super yacht, um, property being bought from him where his mother lives for free now. Uh, Harlan Crow owns the house where Justice Thomas's mother is living, apparently rent-free. By a person who had interests before the court. And so that raises real concerns about the appearance of wrongdoing or at least appearance of undue influence. Earlier this year, ProPublica reported on the decades-long friendship between Justice Thomas and a guy named Harlan Crow. Who is Harlan Crow? Crow is a billionaire real estate developer from Dallas, and he is a Republican megadonor. He is also affiliated with the Federalist Society, which is a conservative legal organization that will have its own episode one day. But in short, it has major influence on nominations to the Supreme Court and to lower courts. Which is a good reminder that Supreme Court justices and most judges in the U.S., I mean, they're nominated by politicians. And not only that, Crow himself donated $500,000 to publicity campaigns for conservative nominees to the Supreme Court when George W. Bush was president. Okay, so Harlan Crow isn't just a Republican donor. It sounds like he's really invested in the ideological makeup of the Supreme Court. Yeah, and he's also really invested in the Thomas family. For example, Crow donated $500,000 to a conservative political group founded by Justice Thomas's wife, Ginny, and he donated $175,000 to Justice Thomas's childhood library to build a new wing dedicated to the justice. All right, so even if we set aside the question of whether or not this is, you know, a good look for a justice to willingly receive such generosity from someone who's clearly invested in his job, these gifts that Justice Thomas has received from Crow seem like things that he might want to disclose, right? Right. So did he? No. Ah. 
May I ask what Justice Thomas's rationale was for not disclosing all of this? Well, when it comes to the gifts, basically, Justice Thomas said he interpreted the gifts as personal hospitality. But Tanya says even before the rules became more specific, it's hard to imagine that Thomas didn't know he was supposed to report something like a flight on a private jet. It was pretty hard to believe that Clarence Thomas didn't know that he was meant to report that previously because other restrictions on the rules say various other types of gifts when the value is more than $200. Now, a private jet costs tens of thousands of dollars to run. So the idea that you need to specify that a private jet ride would need to be disclosed is a little bit farcical in terms of just basic legal interpretation of a document and what things are similar. So just as Clarence Thomas prides himself on being a textualist, and so if he was interpreting a statute that said these other things have to be disclosed when they're over $200, and you asked him, well, what about a ride in a private jet? He couldn't, with a straight face, say, no, that wouldn't be included. So she's saying that Justice Thomas was interpreting the law as it applied to him in a way that was not consistent with how he normally interprets the written law in his own role as a Supreme Court justice. Yeah. And really quickly, just to clarify, the whole private property thing, that's different than a gift, but still a major ethical question. Crow bought a home and two vacant lots from Justice Thomas and his relatives, and then Crow spent over $30,000 on renovations of the home while Justice Thomas's mother still lived in it. And Crow said he bought that home for historical preservation. And Justice Thomas did not disclose that sale. He did not, even though the law says that officials need to disclose information about any real estate transaction over $1,000. So what are the consequences for not disclosing this? A justice does need to report these disclosures to comply with the Ethics and Government Act. And the Supreme Court has said it follows the disclosure process by the Judicial Conference as a matter of practice. But like we said earlier, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court is the presiding officer of the Judicial Conference. So if there is something weird going on with a Supreme Court justice's financial disclosure, the Judicial Conference could look into it. But the Judicial Conference itself is run by the head of the Supreme Court, which doesn't sound like a great setup for accountability. Yeah, exactly. It means that internal enforcement of the Supreme Court is relying almost entirely on the good faith of the justices themselves. So real outside accountability would probably need to come from Congress. Congress could investigate a justice's disclosures, which might lead to an impeachment trial, but only one Supreme Court justice has ever been impeached. Samuel Chase, by the way, 1805, and he was acquitted. And in Justice Thomas's case, this financial relationship with Harlan Crow has been going on for several decades. And it's only thanks to an outside investigation from ProPublica journalists that we even know so much about it now. Yeah. But what about that judicial code of conduct? Does the Supreme Court not need to abide by that either? No. The Supreme Court has said that it uses the Code of Conduct as guidance, but it has its own internal ethics procedures. But these procedures are not exactly transparent, Hannah. And I should add, this is not necessarily a new issue. You know, there have been lots of controversies that have got a little bit of attention, but not much. For example, you know, Justice Scalia went on, on a hunting trip with Dick Cheney when Dick Cheney was vice president and had a case coming before the Supreme Court, and that was all paid for. 
and then refused to recuse himself and ruled in favour of Vice President Cheney. Now, Justice Gorsuch was recently revealed also sold property to someone who appears before the court, and he put the fact of the sale of the property in the public disclosures, but he didn't say who bought it. And so there's a lot of controversies rolling around the court now that the judges aren't being honest and open. And the one mechanism that we require of them to actually just say what is going on in their finances, not even to not accept gifts, but to just tell the public when they accept gifts, they're not even following those rules. So there've been lots of controversies like that over time that have got less attention. But I think this one, it's, it's so audacious, the idea of this just as living large off money provided by rich friends who then bring business to the court. I think it, it actually had to get to such an extreme before people really started paying attention to it. And it just shows how willing we are to think the best of the justices and they have to behave pretty badly to get this kind of attention that Justice Thomas is getting. This is interesting. It's like the Supreme Court itself is kind of a black box. Nobody is monitoring their disclosures too closely. Yeah, and this is important because the Supreme Court is also pretty vague about when they decide to recuse themselves from cases. In the case of the Supreme Court justices, they get to define for themselves whether they think they will be subject to undue influence if they hear the case. And the problem with that is that most people think that they can be much more objective than than science shows that they actually can be. Uh, justices might think to themselves, well, sure, you know, I have a relationship with this person. They've taken me on vacations, but I won't let that influence me. But of course, it does. Uh, you just feel, you feel differently towards a person who's showered you with gifts, who's taken you on their super yacht for a vacation. And even if you personally think you won't be influenced, um, you're probably not a very good judge of that. If we're trusting them to report their disclosures, and at least in the case of Justice Thomas, there is a question as to whether he's been entirely honest about them, and we're also trusting them to recuse themselves, it seems like there's not a great way to hold the justices accountable for avoiding influence. Which to me kind of speaks to how throughout history, we've given the Supreme Court basically the benefit of the doubt that they are floating above what I would call basic human behavior. Yeah, and in fact, Justice Thomas has been criticized for not recusing himself several times. A recent example you've probably heard about relates to his wife, Ginny Thomas's connection to a very high-profile case. Three days after Election Day, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas texted Trump White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, urging him to keep fighting the results. Do not concede, Ginny Thomas wrote. It takes time for the army who is gathering for his back. Ginny Thomas was accused of working directly with members of Trump's White House during the efforts to overturn the 2020 election, even as Justice Thomas himself was hearing cases in the Supreme Court about those same election results. As I mentioned, it's not just about whether you will actually be influenced. It's about the appearance of influence. It's about the appearance of a conflict of interest. And so that the public can have faith that the Supreme Court is actually neutral without having to get inside the mind of each justice and actually say, oh, this person was actually influenced. What does all of this attention do for the legitimacy of the Supreme Court? It doesn't help, Hannah. So the Supreme Court, for the first time in history, has extremely low polling numbers. Traditionally, the Supreme Court has always been the best considered institution of government. And now it has higher disapproval ratings than approval ratings for the first time in history. 
And I think that reflects the fact that some of the justices aren't making efforts to preserve the legitimacy. And the Supreme Court has power because, traditionally, because of its legitimacy. Now, concern over Supreme Court legitimacy has reached Congress. Earlier this year, the Senate held a hearing about imposing a code of conduct for the Supreme Court, and representatives proposed a bill that would require the Supreme Court to create a public, transparent code of conduct. The court should have a code of conduct with clear and enforceable rules so both justices and the American people know when conduct crosses the line. This proposal would also require the Supreme Court to create an investigative process for its own violations. Do we know how the Supreme Court feels about that? Recently, all nine justices signed on to a letter saying that they don't think that ethics rules should be imposed upon it. And that's very rare, where you've had every single justice sign off on a statement by the court. And the statement itself has generated a lot of discussion. But the big takeaway is that the Supreme Court justices want to maintain their own internal ethics standards that are not the result of a direct action from Congress. Here is Chief Justice Roberts commenting on this at a law dinner a few weeks later. I want to assure people that I am committed to making certain that we as a court adhere to the highest standards of conduct. We are continuing to look at things we can do to give practical effect to that commitment. And I am confident there are ways to do that that are consistent with our status as an independent branch of government under the Constitution's separation of powers. What officially is a statement of the court? I'm not sure that I understand what it means for the justices to put something out like that. That's a good question. Uh, Everything is very opaque about much of the running of the court. But normally what will happen is that the court will just put out a statement. Sometimes it'll be specifically from the chief justice as the, the administrative head of the court. But sometimes it'll just be put out by you know the court, and that's probably you know officially done by an administrator, a sort of nameless administrator of the court, and it just represents the views of the court. So statements by the court in in quotes, it does vary who that comes from. Okay, so what are some of the potential outcomes here? What can Congress do to improve public trust in the court, especially since it seems like the court is reluctant to adopt official ethics rules? Congress has a lot of powers to regulate the court. Congress can say, we're going to take this whole area of jurisprudence away from you as a jurisdictional matter. So it can say, you're not allowed to decide reproductive rights cases anymore, for example. This would mean that Congress writes laws that restrict the federal judiciary's authority over certain cases, or that codify certain rights into law rather than as constitutional rights. But even if laws like these were passed their constitutionality could still be challenged in court. Or Congress could write a detailed code of conduct that applies to the Supreme Court as a matter of law rather than just as a matter of norms. But Congress is unlikely to do that under its current constitution in terms of the Democrat-Republican divide uh, in both the House and the Senate at the moment. Until until the Senate abolishes the filibuster or until there's a supermajority that is in favor of reform, um, and that would have to be Democrats because the Republicans at the moment are very happy with the court because it's extremely conservative. Um, so in reality, we're unlikely to see 
reform of the court coming out of Congress, even though Congress certainly has the power, but it doesn't have the inclination. Um, But the Supreme Court also has the power to set rules for itself, but it also doesn't have the inclination, as evidenced by the fact that all nine justices signed on to this letter saying, we don't want to be subject to ethics restrictions. And last thing, Hannah, I think it is really important. We put all of this into context of the role of the Supreme Court. We have a Supreme Court as the final interpreter of the Constitution. And sometimes the rulings they're being asked to make apply directly to themselves. And the other thing the Supreme Court has done is actually really cut back on the ability of the government to regulate bribery of all kinds and other areas of white-collar criminality and also uh, disclosure requirements as well. Justice Thomas is the justice who has led the charge against disclosure requirements generally. So, for example, in political donations, um, he has been fighting fight for many years to say that people should be able to give money to politicians and um, the politicians shouldn't have to disclose it. In recent years, this has not always been the case, but the Roberts Court treats white-collar crime, bribery, disclosure, those sorts of issues of essentially, you know, wealthy people quite differently to the way it treats criminal issues facing the average person. Um, And so I think that's sort of the ultimate broader context to put this in. Like, because we know power corrupts, that's why we require things like disclosure of gifts. It's a fund, like, the founders recognise that power corrupts and so therefore we have, you know, various checks and balances in place to try and stop that. One of the few ways we check the Supreme Court is just to make them at least admit what gifts they're giving. And so, yeah, I mean, the fact that that is being flouted by justices and the there's no real accountability there is a sign that the system is breaking down a little bit. Yeah. That is it for this episode, which was written and produced by Christina Phillips, with help from Hannah McCarthy and me, Nick Capodice. Jackie Fulton is our producer, and Rebecca Lavoie, our executive producer. Music in this episode by Gustav, Sarah the Instrumentalist, Margarita, Matt Large, Arthur Benson, Cushy, Lucas Pittman, and Walt Adams. And if you want more Civics 101, well, we got it! You can check out our entire catalog at civics101podcast.org. And if you've got a question about America just clanging around in your noodle, let us know. Just send us an email at civics101 at nhpr.org, and we might just make an episode. Civics 101 is, and of right ought to be, a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.